to you a little bit here as you everybody takes a deep breath uh, before the calendar year changes, you know, and we we think about all kinds of things uh, at this time of year. We reflect on the past. We look at the future. Uh, we have all kinds of things that run through our head, you know, all kinds of sort of existential questions uh, come to us on New Year's Eve, and uh, it's a time where we make resolutions. How many of you do that? You make New Year's resolutions? You know where I'm going. How many of you keep the resolutions that you make, like the video? No. <laughs> so I, I don't keep them, uh, so I don't make them, all right? But, but, but some of us do, and maybe they work. Uh, but sometimes our goals are a little too real, uh, unrealistic. I hope you will at least open your Bibles this year. You know, it went from read the Bible in a year, the video, to, well, I'll read the New Testament. Well, no, I'll just open it. Well, I trust you will open it. Um, but we think about all these kinds of things, and it's, it's a good time to just hold on, take a deep breath, and just remember a few things. Uh, and remember, all right, hold on a minute. And we kind of have to do one of those aha sort of moments. And, and it's, it's quite a year that we've had. Um, for some, a strange year. For some, a bizarre year. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. Uh, but we're going to look back to the first book of the Bible, uh, just for a few moments, the book of Genesis. And some really simple truths, some really simple stuff, just that you find tucked away in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis in the Bible. This is probably the most criticized book in the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament for sure. And it's probably criticized because of what it says about where we came from and the origin of the universe and people right away they just start to rip it apart. Um, even the scholars criticize the book of Genesis and they say that it had many different authors. Uh, if you've been in school and university and you've looked at this, you've, you've seen most probably some professor talk about what's called the documentary hypothesis. Uh, and they have these different letters for different sections of Genesis and they say, well, one guy uh, we'll call him J, and he writes uh, whenever it says Jehovah in the, in the book of Genesis, he's the J writer. And the guy who calls God Elohim, he's the E writer. And the, the D, they call it J-E-D-P. The D is the guy who also wrote the book of uh, Deuteronomy. And P is for some priestly source. And Genesis evolved over the years, and on and on and on it goes. Uh, even people who profess the name of, of Christ at times rip this book apart. Uh, Shelby Spong, who's a very, very popular writer, has this to say about the book of Genesis. This is a person who professes to be a Christian. He says, first, people assume the Bible accurately reflects history. That is absolutely not so. And every biblical scholar knows it, Shelby Spong says. The second major misconception comes from the distorting claim that the Bible is in any literal sense the word of God. Uh, only someone who has never read the Bible could make such a claim. Yes, this is true what I'm reading, okay? Uh, at least the way he writes it. This is what he says. The third major misconception is, the, is that biblical truth is somehow static and thus unchanging. Instead, the Bible presents, as he says, with an evolutionary story and in those evolving patterns, the permanent value of the Bible is ultimately revealed, so says Bishop Shelby Spong. Well, I'm very happy to tell you that Shelby Spong is wrong 
uh, in what he's saying. There is fundamental and powerful truth in the book of Genesis. And yes, it is the word of God. And yes, it does accurately reflect history. Uh, But his view is very much like the common view in the attack on the book of Genesis. Um, This is a foundational book for all of Scripture. Uh, Jesus himself quotes it often, refers to it often as the Word of God. It wasn't originally called Genesis. Genesis is a Greek word, which means origin, beginning. Uh, In Hebrew, it's the word bereshith, uh, which is a rough pronunciation. And this means in the beginning, in the beginning. And this is the title that the, the Jews would have used. And the Greek version of that is Genesis. Uh, and I'm just going to look at four foundational principles for you to remember as you approach the year 2017 coming from this first book of the Bible. Number one, and if you're going to get anything from today, if you get just one thing, remember that God has it all under control. Remember that in 2017, such a simple truth, uh, even a child can understand it. When you read the book of Genesis, even chapter 1, what do you see? You see God create, you see order, you see design, you see simplicity. On each day of the week of creation there, God specifically creates something and he observes it. And God said Let there be light, for example, and God saw that it was good. God said and God saw. He creates it. He observes it. He is very methodical. It's very specific. It's very organized. The more that we study what God has created, the more that we look into it, even in the finest detail, the more staggering it becomes. I've talked to people who work in in microbiology and they look at the way these little things operate inside the cell and they say the design and the complexity of creation is absolutely staggering. This is because God created it. He's very methodical. He's very organized. He's very systematic. He knows exactly what he's doing. If I may put it bluntly, God does not fly by the seat of his pants. He knows exactly what he's doing. And the more that we look at what he's done, the more assurance it should give us that the future is not a very dark thing. But not everybody thinks this way. Uh, I've surveyed much of the news networks this week to see what some of the commentators are saying about 2016 and 2017, and the view is not good. Uh, Terry Malevsky from CBC has an article, I love the title, Goodbye and Good Riddance to a Ghastly Year. He talks about 2016. And his argument in this article is that democracy is being challenged across the globe. And he, he says this, it often seemed interminable, but 2016 has at least limped to the finish line. And for once, family, friends, and pundits seem to agree they're all smiling grimly as they say good riddance to a ghastly year. Uh, was it really as bad as they say, Malevsky continues? No, he says it was worse. After all, who even remembers how the year began? Uh, Here's just some of what happened on New Year's Day 2016. 300 West African migrants in Libya were slaughtered by ISIS. 
An Arab-Israeli gunman killed three in Tel Aviv. A Taliban suicide bomber blew up a restaurant in Kabul. And El-Shabaab militants attacked aid workers in Somalia. That was January 1st, 2016. On January 2nd, the Pakistani group Jaish uh, a, a, a Mohammed killed seven at an Indian airbase. On January 3rd, suicide bombers from ISIS butchered 15 Shia police recruits near Tikrit in Iraq. Wow, three days into the year. By the end of January, hundreds of other victims were bombed, shot, stabbed, and beheaded in Nigeria, Libya, Turkey, Somalia, Burkina Faso, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, Egypt, and Syria. Then came February, he says. Let's not even start. In fact, let's also try to forget the other months of the year, like July, when a crazed jihadist drove a truck into a Bastille Day celebration in Nice, France, and murdered 86 people. Can liberal democracy survive this, he says. And then he gets into some of the events of the United States and the president-elect, who he doesn't really think is a fan of democracy. It's a very pessimistic article. And if you're really being honest and you really survey the globe in the year 2016, maybe if you look at your own life and you look at your own 2016 and, you know, you come to a church service and you say, well, everybody's supposed to be happy and we're all supposed to smile and raise our hands and praise the Lord. But I look back at my 2016, you say, you say it was pretty bad. It was a rough year. There was trouble, there was turmoil, there was trial and tribulation and all these kinds of things. Can I remind you that God is in control? That God is sovereign and He is in control of your year 2017? Can I also remind you, it's not often talked about these days, I'm not sure why, but can I also remind you that Jesus is coming? Is it okay to remind you of that? That the second coming of Christ is a reality. It's a reality. And Jesus isn't coming back just because he wants to be a promise keeper. Uh, just because he promised to come back. And so he has to keep his promise. And so that's why Jesus is coming back. No, that's not the only reason why he's coming. He's coming to clean up the mess. He's coming to deal with evil and put a nail in the casket of evil once and for all. He's not coming to play games or to play politics. He's coming to do away with evil. And this is a reality that, that we live with. This is what we, we need to understand is, you know, the number one objection that people have to Christianity always has been and probably always will be, if there is a God who's as powerful as you say and as good as you say, then what in the world is going on on the planet that he created? If he's good and he's powerful, then why does he allow this to happen? And that's a great question. That's an amazing question. It has no sufficient answer without the inclusion of the second coming. It is answered correctly by saying, you're right. You're right. God needs to do something about it. And the second coming is the answer. He will. In time, he will. And we need to remind ourselves that when's it going to happen? I have no idea. All I know is we're 2,000 years closer to when the Bible was written. And they wrote it thinking that it was going to happen any day. Well, we're 2,000 years later. So how should we live when we understand the sovereignty of God, when we understand that He is in control of our year, He is in control of our 2017? You know, there are two extremes in this. People who believe that Jesus could come at any moment, 
Well, they, they go to an extreme and they say, well, let's just hunker down, let's bury our heads in the sand, uh, and let's just hide from everything and, and just wait for Jesus to return. You know, sell the farm and wait for Jesus to return and, you know, go up on a high mountain somewhere and wear funny clothes and Jesus is coming. This is an extreme. There's another extreme where people say, well, you know, we, Jesus is going to come, but we have to kind of clean up the world first. And we have to make the world a better place and sort of Christianize the world. And then Jesus is going to return. And so we, we hammer people over the head because we want to usher in the coming of Christ this way. Both extremes are wrong. We have to be somewhere in the middle there. Uh, can I just suggest to you that the vision of this church to reach the one who is far from God is right in the middle. You have to be out there in the world. You can't let the world turn you into itself, but you've got to go and reach it. You've got to go and be out with people and, and, and be with people who do not know God. You've got to be in the world, Jesus said, but not of it. And we've got to have a confidence about us that God is sovereign. He knows exactly what he's doing. He never promised that life was going to be easy. Some of you, you think there's something wrong with you because life is tough. There's nothing wrong with you. Life is tough sometimes. Uh, it's not that God wants to make it easy for you. It's that he wants to be with you even in all of the mess. And even when things seem like they're out of control, going crazy, that's the point where God is the closest to you. He just wants you to reach out your hand and grab him. And he's going to pull you up. Uh, remember that the second coming is real. And remember that God is still in control. He still knows what he's doing. Even in the year, year 2017. Next truth for you. Remember to take a break. Remember to take a break. Do you really believe that God is in control? Really? Some people go to church and brag and boast about the sovereignty of God. They never take a break. They behave like they are God. They behave like they're the ones who have to run the universe. Uh, people say, well, when do you rest during the week? Well, I don't really rest. They say, I work seven days a week. Well, you work seven days a week. I'm going to tell you what you're doing. It's a three-letter word, sin. Sin. You should not be working seven days a week. You should take a day off. You should take a rest. I personally believe that, that the people in Quebec work harder than any other province. How many of you think that's true? How many of you are from Quebec, you work in Quebec? I personally think that. I, I watch, I've been around, you know, many provinces now, and I look at the people in Quebec, and maybe I'm biased, but I see people work really hard in this province. Man, I see it on the roads. People are so stressed out of their brains. I mean, the way people drive in this province, the white knuckles around the steering wheel and the Quebec dart in and out of traffic and they're rushing in and out, rush, rush, stress, stress, stress in the face all the time, working, 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 working. The pay isn't really great in Quebec. We've got to work harder. The mom and the dad have to both go to work and take the kids to daycare. Push, 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 push. We need to work, 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 work. And we're still broker, more broke than ever. You know, more stressed than ever. Grabbing our steering wheels with the white knuckles. This is kind of Quebec life. You can see it in people's faces. Uh, you can see the stress. Some other provinces are nicer. Like I remember a vacation we took to the Maritimes. Any of you been to the Maritimes before? People actually talk to you in the Maritimes. 
you're, you're in the grocery store and a stranger says, hi, how are you? I remember we went there and we said, uh, are you, are, who are you talking to? Oh, we're talking to you. It was a very slow grocery line, mind you. But the people talked to each other. It's like, whoa, the pace of life, very, very different. A place like the Maritimes. But here in Quebec, so much stress, work, 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 work. You see a recipe, simple recipe in, in the book of Genesis where God stops working. Uh, God takes a, a Sabbath. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. You know the story. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And he blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The word in the Hebrew is Shabbat, uh, a, a Sabbath we sometimes say. It means to cease working. It means to stop. It means to rest. Now, in the case of God, it's not because he's tired. The Bible doesn't say he's tired. The Bible says he stopped working. Well, you and I are not God. So you and I get tired. So if you and I trust God and we believe that God is sovereign, what we need to do is we need to stop working once a week. It doesn't matter what the day is. It matters that you stop working and you rest. This is a recipe for health. Even the non, non-religious, non-Christian world will tell us that. That if you work seven days a week, you're a nut. Well, the Bible will say you're a sinful nut. So take a day off once a week. Boy, is it quiet. You all live in Quebec, I see. Uh, you can debate all you want what day it is. You know, I hear people, well, should you, should, is it the Saturday or is it the Sunday? You know, our church is, is, at least for now, a Saturday morning church. You know how many people I told me it would fail? I had pastors who told me, you're crazy. It'll never work. A Saturday morning church will never work. You, you're, you're out of your brain. Do it on Saturday night, but the Christians will never come. You're out of your mind to do it on a Saturday. I had pastors who sat across the table and told me that. Do you know that our attendance, which is now in the, in the mid-60s, sometimes we're, we're, we're cracking the 70 mark. Do you know that most church plants in Canada, the first year the attendance is in the, in the low 40s. The third year it's in the mid-60s. We're three months and we're in the mid-60s. So I'm not sure what didn't work. (laughs) But it doesn't really matter what day it is. It doesn't matter where it is. It matters that you take a day to rest. Now for me, uh, today is not a rest day. Uh, Today I was up at 5. Today I set up almost all the sound equipment with the help of Joe's and a couple of others. We did it. We pulled it off and it sounded okay. You know, it's a lot of work. But there's a day in the week where I don't work. And some, day, some weeks it's one day and some weeks it's another day. But there is a day where I do not work, where I have to cease because I've got to remember to take a break. This is a pattern uh, that God has set forth in the book of Genesis. Number three, we move from the subject of rest to the subject of work. Remember that work is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Some people say, well, hold on here. The book of Genesis even, after, after uh, the fall, God said to Adam, by the sweat of your brow, 
you're going to you're going to reap the harvest of the land. It's going to grow thorns and buy the sweat of your brow out of them. And you know, and we and we go to work and we say, ah, by the sweat of our brow. It's a it's the curse of work. Well, be careful. God didn't say that what He was doing was bad. The, 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 what he was doing wasn't bad. It was the ground rebelled against him because of the fall. The creation went crazy on him and now it became more difficult for him. But the work itself is not sin. Even before the fall in the book of Genesis, you see that, that uh, God gave Adam a job. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You know, we call that agriculture and farming. He had a job before the fall. Verse 19, the Lord God formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, birds of the air, and beasts of the field. You know what we call that today? Taxonomy. So he's got a couple of jobs, Adam. It's not a bad thing to work. Our problem today is that many of our jobs are really what we're doing is we're cleaning up the effects of the fall. <laughs> Many of us work in jobs where we're fixing things all the time. We're fixing broken stuff. Uh, and so we can feel like, oh, this is just a labor. And many of us, we work in contexts that aren't that pleasant to us. Many of us, we work in, in contexts that are totally anti-Christian, totally non-believing, totally pagan, whatever word you want to use, and you're there and you're trying to live Christianly and it's a real, real struggle, or you've got a boss that you can't stand, or a person that you work with that is conflict, friction all the time, and you say, man, this, this job is a curse. Well, be careful, it isn't. And Paul, Paul even says to the, uh, the, the Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, and this is a, this is a, a place uh, that's under Roman domination at the time. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. We've talked about this in previous months, but even if you look in the book of Genesis and you look at young Joseph, uh, this is a, a young man who had several jobs. Uh, some of them weren't too pleasant. He, he gets thrown into prison. Uh, ends up being the, the, the warden there for all intents and purposes. You know, wherever he was, he worked for the Lord because he knew that his reward was from God. So maybe your job is tough. Maybe there's conflict. Maybe you even need to change jobs, whatever. But in the end, remember that work is a good thing. It gives you a sense of purpose. It gives you a sense of meaning. It puts you out there in the community. It puts you out there with people. God wants to use you wherever you are, even though the circumstances may be difficult. There may be some of you in this room, you're retired or you're not working for whatever reason. Well, it doesn't mean just because you don't have a job where you get a paycheck that you're not working. Anytime you're out there with people consistently in some type of, of connection, some type of relationship, some type of uh, uh, purpose where you're doing something for a greater, a greater meaning, this is work. Uh, e even if your work is, well, you know, I go over here and I meet these people, I don't get a paycheck for it, that's still work. Remember that work is a good thing and remember who you're ultimately working for. And finally, remember to walk and talk with God in 2017. 
Um, this may sound obvious, but when we, when we see the fall in Genesis chapter 3, there's a detail there that we can skip over really, really quickly. Verse 8 of Genesis 3, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is after they ate the forbidden fruit. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Implicit in this little dialogue is that they were accustomed, Adam and Eve, to walking and talking with God. This was what was normal. And when sin came into the picture, there was a disruption of this walking and talking with God. Imagine being able to take walks and talks with God today. We have it even better. If you look at the pages of the New Testament, we have it even better today than Adam and Eve had it. Uh, the relationship that we have with God is a complete one. The one that Adam and Eve had with God was an incomplete one. The one we have is complete. Uh, we talk about a relationship with God, but we rarely survey uh, the meaning of this. Um, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three persons of the Godhead, live with us today. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Watch. Who is over all and through all and in all. If you are a follower of Jesus today, God the Father has come to reside within your soul. That is a powerful, powerful truth. God the Father lives in you. Jesus said in John 14, 23, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The Father and the Son will make their home with you and in you. This is better than what Adam and Eve have. God the Son lives in us. John 14, 23, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To put it in today's language, Jesus is saying, let's have lunch together. This is what we have. We have God the Father. We have God the Son residing in us and with us. First John chapter 5, verse 12. I'm not sure if that made it on the screen. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Very simple. We can know today that we have the Son of God within we can know that we have God the Father within, and we can know that we even have God the Holy Spirit within. Jesus said, John 14, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father. He will give you another counselor. In other words, another one just like me to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. And 
He lives with you and will be in you. 2 Timothy 1.14, Paul's advice to young Pastor Timothy, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Um, Romans 8.9, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit live within us. This should give us great confidence as we dare to approach the year 2017. Uh, Remember those things. Walk and talk with God. Work is not bad. Rest is good. And God has it all under control. I'd like the, the band, if they would come back at this time, and they're going to close Uh, in one song, but I want to have a a word of prayer with you uh, today before we finish. We finish a little bit early on purpose today, just to give you time to talk a little bit, and I'm sure there's a bit more snacks outside, Uh, but I want to take a moment to pray with you even as they begin to play uh, softly in the background. Father, we thank you for we have made it through another year. And God, even as as many of us look and the year was a bizarre year for us, a strange year, uh, a year of, of adventure and ups and downs and everything in between. God, on this last day of the calendar year 2016, uh, we thank you that we made it through. And God, uh, even as we look to to turn the page, Lord, I pray for many who are in this room today and, and, and Father, it's just there, there's just a black cloud, uh, even as they try to turn it. They don't even want to look there, oh God. I, I pray you would shine hope and light into people's lives. I pray, Lord, that you would demonstrate to people, even people who are in this room who would doubt and, and who would wonder and who would question. I pray you would demonstrate your faithfulness, your reality. God, you are light, and in you there is no darkness at all. I pray that people would see Jesus is faithful, Jesus is in control, Jesus is coming soon, that God, the, you live in us as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. Oh, in the name of Jesus, I pray pray for encouraged hearts today. Lord, I pray for for families and for marriages today where the the page just needs to turn, oh God, and and a a new thing needs to happen. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that uh, that newness would come. Lord, that hope would rise in people's hearts. I pray for those, oh God, who are even looking for work, oh God, and and, and their, their big prayer need would be uh, just a financial breakthrough and a provision in 2017. Lord, I pray that you would, you would perform that mighty work in people's lives. Lord, whatever it may be, uh, maybe a report from a doctor that is just just uh, looking really bad. Lord, whatever situation, Lord, I pray hope and speak hope in the name of Jesus into people's lives. And we give you praise and we give you glory. We give you honor for as we sang, you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.